0: Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering. So please pre-order yours today at KatieMorton.com. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Hey, everybody, we are back. We have more questions, so many questions, endless amounts of questions, which is kind of funny, because I remember when I first started the YouTube channel, um, Sean and I were talking, he really wanted me to do it. It was it's really his idea. I can't take credit for it at all. And I remember telling him like, but I'm gonna run out of things to say. I don't know what how much can you really talk about. And I laugh, thinking back on that, I just laugh now. Cause I'm like, Oh my God. Like, even if you've already talked about something, that doesn't mean there's not more to talk about. It's like the, the thoughts and ideas and questions are endless, endless, endless possibilities. Um, yeah. And if I know a lot of you like the song at the beginning, uh, it's my friend Jules Burchette. Uh, she has a YouTube channel. She just does her music. I don't know how often she actually posts. I should ask her. Um, but unfortunately I haven't been able to see her recently because of the quarantine. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's who that is. And she made that, that little ditty for me. Um, and something that I noticed last time when I was doing the podcast, and honestly the last like four times, I think this is what episode number five, um, is that I, I talk really fast and I feel like I have to get through a lot of things. And I think my goal, and you let me know in the comments if you agree, but I think my goal for, for like here on out, as I learn more about podcasting, um, my goal would be to do, uh, to take my time with things and not feel so rushed. Yes, I know we want to get questions answered. Um, but I really would like this to be a place for more thoughtful conversation versus just like, you know, cranking through the questions. And I did pull, just so you're aware. I'm sorry, I'm yawning because it's me talking too much. It has nothing to do with you. You're doing great. Don't worry. Um, it's, I had pulled, I pulled a a 12 questions. So we'll see if we get through them all. Um, but I'm not going to feel like I have to rush to do it. Um, anyway, and yeah, quick check-in, uh, things have been okay here for Sean and I, we're just staying home. We're sheltering in place like we should be. Uh, I've heard that we have at least, at least one more month of this going, uh, for, you know, I don't know, we'll see, then they'll reassess. Um, but businesses can't open. I don't think till like May 21st, non-essential businesses. So we have a whole nother month. Um, one day at a time. Am I right? Okay, without further ado, let's get into Oh, and if you're wondering where I get these questions, because I know a lot of people are like, hey, they want to leave questions in the comments below the videos. And I'll do my best to to make sure to try to see those. But the way is uh, the way that I actually ask them is on the Katie Morton YouTube channel, Under the community tab, I let you know that I'm going to film another episode of AKA and I ask for your questions there. And then I'll pull from those for a couple of weeks and then I'll ask again. So make sure you have your notifications turned on over on that channel. Um, If any of you are thinking, because I've gotten some comments that are like, oh, I miss your old videos. This is a podcast. This is totally different. For those of you listening, you already know that. You know this is a podcast, but this is not the Katie Morton channel. This is a podcast that I'm doing. So different. Um, So those videos do still exist. I release them every Monday. Um, Okay let's get into the first question. Now, question number one. Hi, Katie, when I talk about my parents slash my childhood, I'm constantly worried I'm making things up, remembering it wrong or not being objective. How do you deal with this? How can you help someone understand their childhood when all they have is some blurred memories from only the patient's perspective? Thanks and take care. I think the thing about this, this question was really interesting to me, it got a ton of thumbs ups, and people really wanted me to talk about it. Um, We all not we all, but it's super, super common to feel this way. So many of my patients think that they're making up their abuse, uh, that they're just remembering things wrong. Or maybe I think uh, a lot of us can worry that we're creating false memories. I know that there was a lot of chatter on that like long, long time ago about therapy and how therapists can like put memories in your head and make you think that they, uh, yes, that can happen. Therapists can be persuasive, but that's like a shitty therapist, you know, and like normally a good therapist wouldn't do that kind of thing. And so finding out, um, obviously making sure that you're seeing someone you're connecting with, they're not pushing you to remember things. They're not trying to tell you what they think you've remembered or feed you information like, oh, but... you you told me last time it was like dark. So do you remember being in that dark place? Like, don't, that's not how therapy is. That's not how that works. Um, And so be very cognizant of that. Um, However, when it comes to this, any of our memories, like I tried to think about my like childhood memories and things, and it's not that clear because it happened a long time ago. But the thing that is always clear are the ways that I felt about things, people, situations, like did I enjoy, I'm I'm just making something up you guys here, but like, let's say I played t-ball, which I did. And I remember just feeling really nervous and not really liking it. I might not remember specifics, but I'll remember a feeling. And so I'd encourage you to tap into the feelings um, and to tap into what you do remember. I think any good therapist, the way that I manage this with my patients is I let them tell me the story as much as they can. And I ask Questions to see if they can answer. And I try to focus in if there isn't a lot of. Um, oh, sorry, hit that thing. I don't know why I'm apologizing to you, but that scared me because <laughs> I hit my mic stand because um, I talk with my hands and I can't help it. Um, but something that I, I try to have my patients do is if there aren't a lot of like visual memories, like I don't remember uh, where we were going or what car we were driving or what I was wearing or what my brother, you know, any of those things, then we take what we can and we try to remember the feeling and that really tries to pull us out of that like i'm making this up maybe this isn't valid maybe i'm not being fair and i'm not going to lie memories aren't fair or unfair our feelings about things aren't fair or unfair they just are that that they are what they are it's like those are the facts and i know that that can be really hard and we can try we can worry that we're i don't know but to not be objective i, I don't know why that really st- like stuck with me when I was reading this, because I'm like, not being objective. Like, it's your memory. You get to tell it how you want to tell it. you, you get to talk about it the way you want to talk about it. And there's no judgment in therapy. I don't expect you to be able to say like, well, you know, but if I think about it, at that time, my parents were having a tough time in their marriage. So maybe that's why my dad was such an asshole. No, I don't give two shits about what they're going through their parents get it together. You decide to have children, you should be a good parent, you should be present, you shouldn't bring your shit into your relationship with your kids spoilers. Um, however, don't worry about remembering it wrong, being objective. Just start talking about it. I just ask a bunch of questions. I'm very curious. Um, I try to string memories together like, oh, do you think that happened before or after this? Do you remember? So you said you went on a trip. Do you remember any other vacations? Like, I just try to kind of plot them along. Um, and the more we think about it and the more we trigger those feelings, the more memories will be revealed. Um But at the very least, I don't actually care if you remember anything, as long as you have like a feeling or something that you're wanting to work on with regard to that. That's where we start. That's really what therapy is about is like healing wounds in our past selves or our current selves and possibly both selves um, and moving forward. Because I don't think that uh, I think there's a lot of judgment in this question, a judgment about remembering it wrong, making things up, not being objective. I would encourage you to change the way you talk to yourself about therapy and your memory. You're doing the best you can. I have spotty memory and I didn't even have like a traumatic upbringing. Like I, I'm sure there's little T's in my life. Like everybody has little T's in their life. Um, oh, and I'm, I realize maybe some of you don't know what I mean by that, but a big T, uh, we call traumas like T's and a big T could be like, oh, I was in a big car crash, let's say, or I was, you know, uh, physically abused for 10 years or something. Um, but then you could have a lot of little T's like, Oh, we moved around a lot. And, um, so I had trouble adjusting at school and, um, you know, every once in a while, my dad would get angry, wouldn't do anything, but he would shout and I would feel scared. Um, so there are these like little T's that can build up and give us the same, I believe PTSD like response. Um, and so anyways, I say all of that to, to say that like, it doesn't really matter. We're not judging or ranking anything. It's just important that you keep talking about it. Um, and I think that that's really how you deal with it is just keep talking about, talk about your worries about this and then changing the way you talk to yourself so that when we're talking about therapy and our process, it's more of the, I'm doing my best I'm I'm just trying to learn about myself and my situation. We just have to be a little bit more kind and compassionate as we feel our way through it because trust me, it's hard for all of us. Memories, especially if we've had any traumas, we can have complete blackout moments. I can tell you how many viewers and patients alike have told me like, "Oh, I don't remember anything from the age of 6 to 12 or something." You know, or 4 to uh, 11 or there's all these different chunks of time that we could have lost. And so that doesn't mean that we don't have those memories. They're just like repressed and like and held in a trauma narrative. So we have to clear that out and keep talking about it. And yeah, so I think that's really it. I hope that that helps. I know it's hard, but just the judgment's not helping. Um, And the more we talk about it, the better it'll get. Okay. And I hope all of you are doing okay with, with everything that's going on. I know that with the stress of the coronavirus and the like physical isolation, you know how we have to like I think we can still socially engage, but we have to be physically distant. Um, I know that it can be really hard and I hope that, you know, you have our community. We have a ton of people who are going through the same thing. The thing that is kind of cool about this and cool, I mean, in like a terrible way, like, you know, how people describe things as being awesome. Like it was an awesome disaster, not meaning it was good. Awesome. Doesn't mean good. It just means like, Oh my God, it was a lot. This is like a, a worldwide pandemic. It's crazy. It's an, a wild and awesome thing. Um, and so I really like the cool thing about all of this is that everybody in the world understands everybody in the world is in it together. And hopefully that just helps us be reminded of how connected we are and lean into that connection. But anyway, I just hope you're doing okay. Man, the yawns today. Ooh, it's because I'm talking too much. Okay. Question number two. How to cope with being a highly sensitive person, especially when someone's just discovered it within the last week or so. Also, how do you think positively about it if the discovery is causing grief? I have a video all about the highly sensitive person. And I really think I don't know if you guys remember. um, But Carly and Allie even made hats that I have mine, I should have I should have worn it, it up and funny. Um, but it's empathic badass. And I feel like empathy being empathic or highly sensitive is like a a special skill. It's like a superhero skill. Um, and so, or a superpower, I guess how I should have said it. And so I think, um, in some ways leaning into the positives, it's okay to feel how you feel. It's okay to grieve. If you find this upsetting, I find myself more like I read that book about the highly sensitive person. I don't know if you guys remember before I did that video and I definitely, I, it wasn't a hundred percent like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do all those things. But a lot of that, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I totally do that. So I'm not saying, Oh, I am a highly sensitive person, but based on my own brief encounter with the you know, research on it, I think that I definitely fall into that bucket. Um, but I tried to frame it in a way that's positive. It's all about like how we frame things, how we talk to ourselves about it. And I didn't, or I, I don't think that it's a bad thing to be highly sensitive. It just requires another level of emotion regulation. Because we, the thing that's cool about being highly sensitive is we can read situations really quickly. I have a good read on people. Like I can tell if someone's upset, I can tell if someone's sad, or something's different or off with them. Um, I'm good at reading people from the beginning. Like, do I think they're a good person? Should I give my attention to that? Um, I can be really empathic, which can make me a better human. Not to mention a better therapist. And so, framing your high, your your high sensitivity level. In a positive light, I think is what's really important. It's just changing perspective. Instead of thinking like, "Oh my God, I'm so sensitive," like I think the word "sensitive" has gotten a bad rep, and I think it's being sensitive is important. It's imperative. It's part of how we connect with others and how we, I don't know, how we feel about our role. It's okay to be sensitive. I don't want anybody to think that that being sensitive is a bad thing. Um, What we all just want to be big, you know, numbed out nothing hurts us type people. No, that doesn't work. Um, and so really coping with it is changing the way you talk to yourself about it because you're so sensitive. You're probably feeling very overwhelmed and, um, you're probably, you know, and I don't, I'm just guessing here, but like probably feeling overwhelmed, probably feeling sad, probably, um, You know, thinking all sorts of negative things about it and what that could mean about you. And I'm just here to tell you that it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. I think it's like a superpower. We just have to use it in the right way. And so I use it to keep myself out of trouble, keep myself out of arguments and fights I don't want to be in. Um, I I use it to help me better uh, pick friends, people that I want in my life. And so I'd encourage you to tell me, even leave it in the comments or maybe just journal about it later. What? are your parts of your uh, being a highly sensitive person that are like positive? What are the things you find to be your superpower within that? Um, Yeah, because it isn't a bad thing. Being sensitive isn't bad and being a highly sensitive person isn't bad at all. Um, But not to mention like also the discoveries causing grief. It's okay to grieve if you feel that that like is important for you and that's part of your process. I'm not sure um, if you're grieving like what it is, but if you figure out like why you're grieving and what you're grieving, it's okay to feel that like you feel like it's a loss of a life that you were gonna have or something. I'm completely fine with you um, grieving and feeling it. But that doesn't mean we should wallow. That just means that we acknowledge the feeling we allow ourselves to express it, maybe we write about it, maybe we talk about it, and then we move forward. Okay. Okay, question number three, how does a therapist find giving online therapy? You've talked about how we might find it, but you but if you are doing this during the lockdown, what is it like for you? Yes, um, we're all doing this during the lockdown. Every therapist I'm sure is doing phone sessions, text check-ins, Skyping. And we've had, I've actually had quite a few, not, I don't want to call it crisis, but uh, people who are having a tough time right now, especially my anxious patients are like, oh, I don't like it. (laughs) It's a great tool, especially during this time. It's a super important tool. And I'm grateful that we have it because I don't like to do phone, by the way. I don't Have I done any? I've done phone check-ins. I haven't done phone sessions, um, mainly because I don't like them. And I don't think that the phone is as good. I mean, it technically works. Like I I have done them in the past, but I haven't done any during the quarantine. I've done only like Skypes and uh, Google Hangouts. I've done some FaceTimes. Um, I prefer video so I can see how you're doing. Have you washed your hair recently? Have you washed your face? Does it look uh, like you're sleeping well? Um, That way, when I ask you questions, I can see your response like facially, or if you're like gesturing a lot, if you seem, you know, very anxious and hopped up on it. Um, and all that stress that you're experiencing, I want to be able to see that because voice can be so deceiving. I've had many patients where I've done like phone check-ins where like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And then later they're like, oh my God, you caught me at the perfect time. I was about to like hurt myself. And I'm like, you were so calm. And so immediately like that, I mean, the lot, when that happened is like years and years ago, probably six years ago. I was like, I don't want to do those anymore. I don't like it. That phone doesn't work. Um, and so I don't like online therapy. <laughs> but I will say this. I will say that doing online therapy is better than no therapy at all. And that's why I'm doing it. And that's why my patients are doing it. You know, we still need the connection. We still need, um, the, the benefits of therapy. We still need to be able to talk things out. Um, I've debated if I wanted to do a phone session or a Skype session with my therapist. I'm not even sure if she's offering them, but I assume she is. Um, So I think that it's very important for our own mental health, but it's not my ideal. I don't like it. And I wouldn't, that would never be something that I would do on the regular. Um, You know, obviously this is a global pandemic. It's kind of a different situation. We're in a crisis. Um, But yeah, I don't think I like it because, because of that. And it doesn't feel as connected. Even for me as a patient, who is in my own therapy. I haven't done, like I said, I haven't done the online therapy with Jana, but I, I wouldn't, I mean, I was trying to think about, I'm like, where would I go to have that kind of call? I'd have to go to my car just because knowing me, I'd need to have some privacy. So I'd have to sit in our car, which is fine. Um, but it's just not ideal. I'm not in that safe holding environment. Although I have to be honest, the car, I don't know if you guys would think, I'd love to hear in the comments, but like, I think a car is a perfect place to do a therapy session. It feels very contained. It feels very private. Um, You could even drive like a few blocks away from your home so that you don't feel like anybody could see you, hear you, you know, pull into an empty parking lot. I don't know, as long as your doors are locked and your windows are up and you feel safe. Um, But yeah, I think that that's it's just tricky. I just don't like it as much. So that's the truth. Okay. Question number four, how to deal with self-harm intrusive thoughts during quarantine, being constantly at home and not working is making my intrusive thoughts more loud and persistent, which um, often drags me into anxiety t- attacks. Any tips on how to calm this down? The thing about intrusive thoughts is they are anxiety-driven it could be part of your OCD, which if you didn't realize is is part of an anxiety disorder. Um, it's in that like umbrella of uh, diagnoses. Um, and so, I mean, constantly at home networking, making my true thoughts more loud and persistent. I think we have to be able to manage those thoughts. And the best way to do that is to do impulse logs. And you can look those up online. You can just Google impulse logs. Um, you can use, uh, What is it called? Is it Calm Harm? I think Calm Harm is another app. Um, I used to recommend the Safe Alternatives app. If you guys have watched for a long time, you know I've mentioned that. Um, Thank you to that particular community member. You know who you are. You told me how much it is. They've increased the prices like twelve dollars a month, and I think that is some horseshit. I know that some people can afford that, and if you can, if it feels reasonable to you, totally. But I just don't think that that's very reasonable. I mean the most I've ever paid for an app was the recovery record that I use with my eating disorder patients. And I think that was like $8 or $7 a month. And that's totally reasonable, but $12 a month, you don't need to do it. I think that there are easier ways to, um, even in my, uh, you can just probably YouTube Katie Morton impulse logs. I talk about how to create them, what they are. It might be in one of my safety plans or my self-harm videos. Um, but essentially what I would encourage you to do is to note the feeling. So, like, okay, I have this self-harm urge. Okay, so the urge is to injure myself, whatever. The date and time, because that's important. I know that sounds weird, but we'll start to see patterns. Like, oh my God, my urges are are the worst at like 10 o'clock at night. Usually night times are worse for people, but some people do it like in the morning because no one's around. I'm not sure. So pay attention, write down like the time that it happened. Um, and then I want you to identify at least three feelings what's going on? And then if you can come up with it, what what do we think the triggering event was or events could have been? Um, you know, I watched the news, and they talked about how we have to be in quarantine for X number more weeks. I don't know what they're saying and where you are. And, uh, and then my mom shouted at me or my my husband was mean, you know, I don't know, pay attention to kind of notice what triggered that. And then I want you to give uh, and have some options. Like I have my 25 coping skills video, then use some of those coping skills and some of those ideas to cope. So once we've done all that, I want you to do at least three other things, wait 30 minutes, then you can do whatever the fuck you want. And so I think slowing that down will not only prevent the self-injury from happening, but it will also slow that anxiety down help you better identify what you're feeling. Because the thing about anxiety that I find interesting is I believe it's born, if you haven't watched, like I have a workbook I put out about the anxiety workbook and it's video and written. Um, tools. And after doing all this research about anxiety, I really believe it's born out of a lack of self-confidence. And I think that self-confidence makes it difficult for us to identify and validate our own feelings, which then means we're stuffing them down and we explode having panic attacks or feeling like really angry or rage filled. It can come out in a lot of forms, intrusive self-injury thoughts, intrusive eating disorder thoughts. So I would encourage you to to try doing other things, try paying attention, identifying and validating how you feel. It's okay to feel shitty. We're all feeling shitty right now. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel frustrated, but just try to identify, do some coping skills. I would encourage of those three coping skills, make sure one is a process based. The other two can be like distraction techniques. Um, But doing that, you know, that, uh, impulse log, I think will really, really help. Um, yeah. And just calm me down. We got to slow down that process from like feeling anxious to wanting to self injure and that quick jump poof poof. Um, because there is time in there to like assess and validate. Okay. Let's have a little sip of a water and we'll get into number five. Oh, as I spill water on the kitchen table, I had that like adrenaline dump to my fingertips. Cause I was like not my laptop. No, but it didn't So don't, don't worry laptop. I've had this laptop forever, you guys. And it's like one of my biggest fears that it's just going to like die on me one day. Um, I mean, I I back it up. Don't worry. I go home and back it up. But, um, I just, I just worry about it because it's just been with me. I bought it, uh, when I had my sales job, I saved up some money. I don't even know when this was, you guys, this thing's so old. And it was like, I think I might have, it's right around when maybe I started the channel, but I knew I needed my own computer. I didn't have my own computer because my uh, desktop, yes, I had a desktop, had died the year before and I had a work laptop. And when I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm going to quit my job um, because I was working at the hospital part time and uh, also private practice and I was going to do more hospital work and do more YouTube, I was like, I'm going to quit this job. I need to get a real laptop. And so I bought her and she's been with me through this whole adventure. Okay, that's enough. That's enough of a detour. Sorry, guys. I'll get back on track. Okay, question number five: How to deal with your trauma when you feel like it's all out in the open because you were triggered and started talking about it in therapy, but now therapy is on hold because of Corona. I feel like this wound is cut open and no one to help me to close it because it's not physical and not Corona related, uh, so not urgent. It's totally urgent, and I would encourage you to tell your therapist this and set up an appointment. I know therapists might be like. I just can't imagine no therapist offering online therapy, or phone sessions or something that just I just can't imagine because I'm going to be frank with you. If it's the only way we make money, a lot of people have full private practices. And that's all they do. I was never that person, mainly because I didn't, I didn't like that dynamic that like my I know that's weird. You guys, I'm weird in some ways, but I didn't like the idea that I that people would come to my office, I would take that money and that's how I funded my whole life. Like I always had other jobs, like at the hospital, treatment centers, um even like my sales job and I was a waitress while I was still gaining hours and stuff like I had a lot of different jobs mainly because I wanted to make sure I had like healthcare coming from another thing. It made it just feel more balanced for me. So, um, so that if somebody was like, Hey, can you see me for a sliding scale? Cause I lost my job. I could without worrying about my own bills and livelihood say, yes, I just always wanted that. So I know I'm weird, but a lot of therapists, that's their main source of income. And so they're gonna do those types of sessions. I just know they are. So please, please, please reach out to your therapist, ask them to do that. Because the thing about it is that you started talking about in therapy, which is wonderful. But now we just need some resources to help calm us down to soothe our system. And we need someone to help us. It's like, take a look at that wound, figure out how it needs to be cleaned out and start that process. It's not going to all of a sudden get better. And we're not going to feel amazingly well right away. But I'm proud of you for taking that step and moving forward. And now we have to figure out how to continue that treatment for you. So I think, um, you know, calling a therapist, setting up an appointment, telling them you do phone, Skype, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever, and then find a safe space, either in your car, in your closet, somewhere in your house. You got to have a little privacy. Um, Yeah, let's make the space for that. Oh, I feel like I'm going to sneeze, you guys. Hold on. Excuse me. Don't worry, I'm not sick. I could feel it tickling me. I think it was my own hair. It happens sometimes. Okay. Um, So yeah, so I think it is urgent. I don't like the idea that it's not Corona related. So it's not urgent. This is urgent. Trauma therapy is very difficult. It can be super triggering. It can be super detrimental to our ability to function in our life. Um, yeah. Talk about it. Speak up, reach out. Let's get you some help. Um, because the only other thing I can think of, let's say your therapist for some reason is like, I'm not going to do these sessions. I don't do that. Um, the best way would be to find ways to self soothe so we're going to have to try different coping skills try different um different resources like connection is usually pretty good with safe people um talking to them about maybe not the trauma but just like how you're feeling you know you miss your therapist and you're you're feeling kind of vulnerable and you know things have been overwhelming or whatever having that connection can help a little bit too Or maybe there's memories you can tap into that are soothing. Like one of my favorite ones is I'm floating in Costa Rica in the ocean and you know how your ears, I think I've shared this before, but your ears go below the water and it gets quiet and the sun is on my face. It's wonderful. It's super soothing. So using those tools can help in the moment too, but your therapist should see you that it's ridiculous. It is urgent. And I would, I would make that, Like we don't need to be dramatic, but I think it's important for you to speak up and be your own advocate and say, yeah, this is urgent. I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I don't know how long we're going to be in quarantine. And I really, I really need to set up, I need need to find a new way to have appointments. They'll understand. Okay. Question number six and a great question. Something I was debating just like riffing on in a video because a lot of people are talking about this how to deal with toxic family or people I live with at this time. Not sure if you've answered this before. I don't think I have. I probably have addressed it in like maybe last week's AKA or maybe on a live stream or something. Um, But I know it's a front of mind because I know some of us are also stuck in like abusive households, which fucking sucks. And why are people so terrible? Um, But the best way to deal with toxic family and people during this time is and you're, I know you're going to be like, ah, oh, this is so hard. And it is hard. Limit contact. I know, Sean and I live in a thousand square feet. Trust me, it's not a big place. Um, so that might mean that maybe we stay up a little bit later than them so that we get up a little bit later so that our time, you know, the time we have to deal with them is more limited. Maybe we set up some hangouts with friends during the day. Um, you know them best, so you know how they operate. So I'd pick the times that you think they're usually the most triggered or acting up or being an asshole. Um, try to connect during those times, you know, with other people who are positive and make that a regular thing. We're going to need some connection and communication with healthy, happy people that aren't such pieces of garbage. Um, and then if possible, here comes the, the hard part, even harder part, I guess, is start communicating boundaries. I know this can be hard, especially if it's a parent or someone. And if there's abuse, then this might not be safe. But for most of us, toxic just means they're like passive aggressive, they're kind of manipulative, they try to put you down. Um, They can be doing things that like are terrible, but it's not physically going to damage us if we speak up. Because I think we all have, I'm telling you, we all have the right to say to someone who's a shit talker, who's passive aggressive, who's rude, who name calls, um, we have a right to say, I'm not going to talk to you when you're like this. And it's not okay for you to talk to me this way. I wouldn't talk to you like that. And I would never call you that name. We can just shut it down. And then we can go in our room. We can say, I'll talk to you when you're feeling a little bit better. Cause right now I, I don't want to fight with you. You just got to shut it down. And if they're like, you're trying to be all high. and mighty," I'm not going to talk to you when you're like this. I'll talk to you later and you just keep, it's like broken record. I'm not going to talk to you when you're like this. I'll talk to you when you're, when you're a little bit calmer. I know people can get real fired up and be terrible, but you just keep saying the thing. You go into your room. If they don't, if they like come into your room, you can be like, this is not appropriate. I'm not going to talk to you. I don't want to fight. And then you can just be silent. So I know that it's hard. I know that people are like, Oh, that's so uncomfortable, but isn't it uncomfortable to have people manipulate you and belittle you and talk trash and just be a total asshole it would be nice if we could just be like, I don't have to see that person anymore. Fuck you, get out. But right now we're in quarantine. And if we're not able to leave, which I would encourage all of you to start putting together your escape plan, like ASAP, save up money, start looking into other options. Um, I'm sure people are still looking for roommates now during this because, you know, whoever got caught without having a roommate, if someone just moved out and they were looking for someone might really need a roommate. So you might be able to switch things up. Um, but you got to work on that escape plan, but just boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. We don't have to talk to them. Like when they're like that, we don't have to accept that kind of conversation. That's not like something that I've found, like in my life, something that I will say that I, I find works is, you know, this isn't, this isn't a healthy conversation. I don't like to get yelled at. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm just going to walk away now. So I just walk away. I know it's a little tricky because we're in a, like a, you know, a home or apartment or whatever, but that's my advice. Distance, distance, distance. And then if they come at you, you just don't talk to them when they're like that. I mean, if they're fine, because some, sometimes toxic people, they're not toxic all the time. They might be friendly for a little bit, and it's okay to be friendly back. We're just going to be cordial. We're not going to fight back. We're not going to laundry list. We're not going to yell. Um, we're just going to say, I'm not going to talk to you, you know, when you're like that. But I'll talk to you if you want to be friendly. If you want to have a nice, passive, easy conversation, talk to you about that. Um, yeah. And then journal and talk to other people, man. And I'm sorry. Okay. Question number seven. The more isolated I am, the less I want company. I've heard this from a lot of you. Since quarantine started, I even stopped talking to people on social media. Why and how to fix it? First of all, the why is interesting. And I would like to do some more research on it because I don't actually know the reason. It's just like I even feel this way. Um, When I haven't left my house in a week to do any social thing, I like don't really want to do it. It seems like a lot more work. And I, I think it's out of it's out of routine and ritual. And it's a little unknown. And the longer that goes on, the easier it is to not want to engage. Because what we're in is like use, it's like we're used to it. It's a ritual, it's a routine, it's something very comfortable. Oh, and earlier today, I did a, a workshop uh, for Patreon. Um, Not for my patrons. Don't worry. If you're a patron, you're like, what? It was for Patreon itself and for other creators on the platform. That's why you didn't hear about it. Um, Anyway, so I did this and one of the women there asked the difference between ritual and routine. And I think because I am mentioning them here, I think it's kind of important that we talk about it. So a ritual is something that we do to get our brain and body ready for something. That could be like right before I go to bed, I wash my face, I brush my teeth. That's a ritual. I do these things leading up to it. And then I am preparing for a certain activity. A routine is something it's like a schedule. It's more like planning things out. I um, it's just a little bit like, we're not really preparing our brain and body for a specific thing. We're just going through things in a certain order. Does that make sense? It's like we have our list for the day, and we're going to work through this. This is part of our routine. I get up around this time, and I start doing work. Um, the ritual will be like before I start work, I always do the same thing: washing my face, and you know, combing my hair, whatever. Um, small distinction, but just in case any of you wondered, that's my. Those are my thoughts about it, and I haven't looked up like the exact definition. Those are just my thoughts about it. Um, so anyway, we get into this routine and this uh, pattern of being isolated, of not talking to people and not wanting company. And so I really think the best way to fix it is to change the way we think about it and allow ourselves to believe it. Because I would assume in your head at this point, you're like, "Um, but I don't really feel like talking. There's so much energy. I just don't want it. We talk ourselves out of it. Or like, nobody really wants, cares what I have to say. I just don't. It's like all this negative talk potentially, but we just right out of it. Don't do that. Notice it's happening. Be like, hey, I'm doing that shit talking, spiraling into isolation, depression again. I'm Katie told me to notice, let's notice this. And let's thought stop. Take your brain into another space, another memory, another hope. Maybe we distract by organizing, cleaning, uh, journaling, listening to music, I don't care, do something else, get your mind off of it. Some people say even just shouting stop, To themselves, like stop, 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 stop. We'll stop those thoughts from going. Um, So pay attention to that and stop that. And then we have to make little baby steps back. Like you said, you don't really want to talk to people on social media. I think that's where we start. I think we start with like leaving two comments today, and maybe we move up to five tomorrow. You know, we slowly increase until I would really like you to be reaching out to people in your life to do FaceTime, Zoom, uh, phone calls, text other ways to connect. And again, you can move up into that. So maybe starting with text messages, and then maybe we would try for a phone call, and then maybe we set up a Zoom. And th- this might take you a few weeks to get back on track. But we really just need to start moving in that direction. Because the thing that I worry about for a lot of us is that the more isolated we become, even when they remove the stay home orders, where we can go out, we won't go out, we might slip into depression, have more dark thoughts. And I really just don't want that for any of us. And so pay attention to that track those thoughts and try to make them more positive because things will get better we will be okay you are important people like to see you you like to see and talk to people too we just have to make more put more effort into that and make it more of a priority and i know it's hard but it starts starts with the thoughts okay on to question number 8 And there's two kind of in this one is mental health related, one is not mental health related. Okay, mental health related one says, would it be treating um, your depression to quit things? I used to love gymnastics, but lately I don't. Since I quit, I don't um, enjoy it and it's kind of stressing me out. Or should I continue because I used to love it and probably still do besides my depression? I've always wondered how anxiety and depression can be related. I mean, I believe it's true. I've been diagnosed with both, but anxiety makes me worry about everything and depression makes me not care about anything. That kind of, con- they're like contrasting feelings and I'm super confused about it. I love this question. First thing, anhedonia, the lack of enjoyment in things, is part of depression. It's like, one of the pillars of the diagnostic criteria. If we don't enjoy what we used to enjoy, it's not you. That's your depression. It's trying to rob you of all the joy and good in your life, and it's an asshole. So don't believe it. You still love gymnastics. Depression just can't let you see it and can't let you feel it because it's such a son of a bitch. So we need to get some treatment for that, whether that's therapy, whether that's medication, see a psychiatrist. Everybody's doing Skype, Zoom, FaceTime meetings. My mom saw her cardiologist the other day via Zoom. I had to help her set it up. Crazy. But so everybody's doing that. So I'd reach out, get an appointment, talk to somebody because it does get better. And then talking about how anxiety and depression are related, the interesting thing about it, the more we learn, and I haven't, I don't know, there's probably even more information now exactly where in the brain, it's over on this side of our brain where they find. It sounds weird to say like where they find depression and anxiety, but a lot of the um, the places in our brain that depression and anxiety affect are close to one another. And I don't know if that's why I'm just giving that information because I found that just fascinating that they you know they run in the same areas. And I like to think of them as like a teeter totter where the depression will be really bad and the anxiety will be like I don't even know if I have an anxiety. And then the anxiety get really bad, we're having like panic attacks or just feeling on edge. So all day, every day, in the depression, you're like, Neh. and then the most uncomfortable is when they happen at the same fucking time. And we feel like shit and not motivated at all yet want to tear our skin off because we have so much energy running through our veins. I know that sounds crazy, but let me know in those comments if you can relate to any of that. And so even though it seems like they contrast in feelings, I think one is like, I think it's, I honestly think it's just because of where they are in the brain, but I do believe that they feed into one another because they both kind of come out of this uh, worry. The anxiety worry is like worrying about everything and anything and everyone, no matter how much I try to control it. Depression is like hopeless, helpless. Oh my God, is this going to be ever, this is going to be it? I just can't even do anything. It's like, I can, I don't think they're like the same but they do, they like run right into one another and they can feed into one another. And I think that's why we talk about how connected they are. Does that make sense? I feel like I talked in a circle. Anxiety and depression are different, but they're very, they like butt into one another and feed into one another and can teeter totter. I hope that that makes sense. Cause I was like, wait, I don't, I think I'm talking in a circle. Sometimes that happens. Sorry. I got the quarantine brains, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to sleep, trying to take care of myself. Um, Although has anybody else just had the shittiest time sleeping? It's been so hard to sleep lately. I normally go to bed at like 10 30. And I've been I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try to go to bed. And like I went into bed at 10 30 and I was like, I'll probably try to fall asleep around eleven. I did a little bit of reading like I normally do. And then I was still wide awake at like midnight. And I'm like, what gives? It's just weird. And then I wake up a bunch. Anyway, not your problem. It's my problem. But I, if you're feeling it, I'm feeling it too. Okay. Now the question not mental health related. If you were not a therapist, what would you like to be? What are some of your hobbies? And what were your hobbies when you were young? I thought this was really funny. I'm like, do people even care? I guess people do care about other things. Um, about me specifically. Um, if I was not a therapist, what would I like to be? It's, it's really tricky. Because back in the day, when I was looking into graduate schools, I for, for a while thought I wanted to be a pastry chef, because I love to bake. I really do. I know. it's super soothing. I enjoy the challenge of it. I like trying different things. If I had a better kitchen, I would actually enjoy our kitchen's so small and so shitty you guys. And there's like no counter space. So it's hard for me to like get everything out and do things. Um, but I love that. So maybe that, um, but also, I mean, Hmm. I enjoy research. It's funny because when I was in school, I was like, I'd never want to be a research. Like I didn't get my PhD, like continue on because I was like, I don't even want to be involved in research. And like, I don't need a PsyD, which is like a doctorate for clinical psychology because I was like, why pay more? Do the same fucking thing I can do with this degree because paid for my school myself. You got to think about those things and you don't even make much more. And I did all the, ran my numbers or my gazintas as my mama says. Um, and so I, you know, I enjoy the research kind of stuff, which I know really isn't a therapist. It's like still kind of a therapy thing, but I think I'd like to like, like engage in that a little more. Um, I also think it'd be really, really cool to be a yoga instructor. (laughs) Those are just things that I love and I would love to do in another life. I'd be a yoga instructor and maybe a pastry chef in the, in the evening. I don't know, get crazy. Um, so some of my hobbies are, I love to snowboard. I love to mountain bike. I love to do yoga. Um, I love, I know this sounds really weird, but I, I love, I'm like a foodie. I love going to new restaurants, trying out new types of foods, hearing about how people created things. I love like the whole, um, you know, uh, what is it called? Why am I blanking on the name? It's like when you get a cocktail made and they like do it all particular for you, like signature cocktails and, you know, people like really get into it. I love all that shit. I I, it's like so fun for me and I love experiencing food and places and things with people. I love being outdoors. I love um, live music. Man, I love live music. I think that's kind of part of my grieving process with all this Coronavirus shit is like the things that I love some of it's going to change and I'm sad about it because I love like I bought tickets to see George Strait in August and fuck man, I don't think that's going to happen and I'm really bummed about it. It sucks. So a lot of my hobbies, those are just some of them. Um, yeah, I, I love adventures. I love I also love like spontaneity. Um, like, oh, let's go on a road trip. Okay blah. I love that stuff. It's fun. Um, and then what were my hobbies when I was young? When I was young, I'd love to mountain bike also. Um, it's It's just totally different. It's funny because the landscape's so different back. I grew up in Washington State, so, and in the country. And we had all these like woods and the toughest part about mountain biking there was just not hitting trees. That was like the whole goal was just like, don't rack yourself on a tree. And you, you, I mean, you get good at it, but there, and you get your own trails where you are just kind of following a trail, but you hit a tree. It just happens. Um, but I love that. I love building forts. Oh my God. I love coloring as a kid so much, like so much. I loved roller skating, not blading, like roller skates, like the old school kind. Um, love, love, love that loved hula hooping. Um, yeah, yeah, those are just some of the things that I liked. Man, hobbies are great. It's funny, because people always ask, like, what were your hobbies? And it's like, I can never think of them right off the top of my head, but we really have a lot. So I encourage you, what are your hobbies? Let us know in the comments, share some of the things you like to do and why. It's kind of fun. It made me feel good there for a minute. It's like a little, ah, a little breath in. Okay. Question number nine. How do you find a fitting therapist? Like, how do you determine if you want to see a man or woman, older, younger, and how to distinguish between what you want and what you should? I know you can try them, but that can be both expensive and overwhelming. Thank you for all you're doing. I hope it makes sense. English is not my first language. Of course, it makes sense. Your English is impeccable. I can't tell you how many of you say that. You're like, I'm sorry, English isn't my first language. And I'm like, honey, you are better than a lot of us Americans who cannot properly write or speak. It's beautiful. Okay, I just need a little more water. Um, I think the truth about this, and this sounds really strange to say, but it's figuring out who have you confided in in the past. Has there been anyone that, like, a teacher, a parent, another family member, a friend, um, who have been the people in your life that you have always been drawn to and had connection with? Mine have almost always been older females. That's just me. Um, but, but for many people, like a lot of my friends actually were closer with their fathers. Like they would talk to their dad more about stuff. I didn't have that kind of relationship with my dad, mainly because he worked away from home a lot. Um, which is kind of funny looking back because my dad was w- like, he was so much more emotional than my mom. So I probably would have really enjoyed those conversations. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off topic. Um, figuring out who it is that you enjoy talking to and who you've confided in the past or who you've had connections with that can help. Cause that, you know, might be male, female, older, younger, um, things like that. Like, I don't want too old of a therapist mainly because it's my own judgment. Like I, like I said, in my book, um, in are you okay? I think it's chapter, is it chapter four or five about finding the right therapist? Maybe it's farther in. I don't remember. Um, but I talk about how like this is not the time to be politically correct. There's no I don't take offense if someone's like I'd rather see a guy and you're too old. I'd be like Yep, that's fair. Cool. I am 36. Maybe you want a 26 year old. That's totally fair. Um, and so I think part of it is just like not being PC. Figuring out like who you normally confide in, and just you could even role play in your head if if it's if you know this helps too. Like who would you if when you imagine yourself seeing a therapist, what do they look like? What age are they? You know, how does it work? What do you think? And that kind of gives you an idea of like what you're kind of hoping for. At the end of the day, um, the best way to find like to find a good therapist is referrals from friends and family, people who are similar to you. Um, But you have to try them out. And I know that that sucks. Um, But a way to do that is like, so if we kind of have an idea, like I never thought I wanted to see a guy therapist ever. But then in school, when I was in graduate school, my a therapist, Rebecca, retired. She was kind of forced out. It's kind of a shitty situation. And the only person that had an opening was this dude. And I saw this dude for like three or four sessions. And I was like, you can put me back on the wait list. I'll, I want to see somebody else. Um, I just couldn't talk to a guy. It bothered me. And I didn't even know I'd have that response. I just. I, but I already knew that I, did, I didn't think that was going to be for me. Like, I didn't have to see him to know that I didn't want that. And so take some time and like, be quiet with yourself and know that there's no judgments. Think about seeing, maybe imagine in your mind, seeing a guy, seeing a girl, seeing an older person, a younger person, and you can slowly figure it out. Um, And then you're going to have to, oh, and then I was going to say also, another great thing is to get online and check out their websites. Because most, most therapists have their photo there and some, you know, something they've written about themselves, their bios, and what they've done. And you can get a feel for them a little bit by looking at that. And you can decide like, hey, does that seem like, you know, someone that I'd be comfortable with? And that will give you a kind of, we're like trying to narrow it down, right? And then the last step is honestly to go see somebody. And I know it sucks. Um, you can also ask, because some therapists will do this, you could also ask when you're making an appointment, you could say like, um, you know, hey, can we hop on a quick call? I just want to get a feel for you before I come into the office. And if immediately you're like, I don't like them at all, you can cancel, You say like, I don't think this is going to work out. I know that that's hard for a lot of us, but hey, this is your therapy. It's something you're going to pay for. Why waste the money or time? And if you also have a really tough time and you don't want to stay on the phone, email them afterwards, get their email and email and be like, hey, after consideration, I think I'm going to go see someone else. Thank you so much for your time. Sincerely, Katie. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of ways to kind of help navigate that so that you find the right person. And I know that it's hard. Um, And also a lot of the online things have you take like different tests and stuff and what your issues are and they try to fit you with the right person. I don't know how well that works. You guys let me know. But that's another thing too. Might be beneficial to try that out. Okay. Hold on one sec. Question number 10. Okay. You say, ask Katie anything. So what's the one grocery that you will never run out of? Like you always have at least one in your fridge or cabinet. Mine is Cokes. <laughs> she loves this the pop or soda, whatever you want to call it. I'm just goofing on my question, of course, and can't imagine anyone else will be asking the same question. <laughs> it got quite a few thumbs ups, and I thought this was fun. And I was thinking about it, like, what would I never run out of? And there there are a couple of things. Um, pasta, because it keeps, and I love pasta. Can't help myself. And then the second is um, well would that be? I'd ha- I almost want Sean to weigh in on this, but I won't make him weigh in on it. Um, There's probably three. And sorry for the person that asked the question. I know you said one, but I've got three. Pasta. We've always got some in the pantry somewhere. Then the second is eggs because I always eat eggs for breakfast or want egg salad. I just love eggs. I, I just can't help myself. So we like never run out, barely. Like if we're out for one day, like that's a travesty. Like I'm ordering groceries, you know, we don't run out. And then I would say the third is uh, soy milk or almond milk or cream or something because I can't take coffee black. I always need milk in it. And I, you know how much I love my coffee. So I never run out of that either. And if the thing that's kind of weird about being in quarantine is that I've gotten into this rhythm where like, if, if we're running low on milk or like, Oh, I just don't feel like making coffee or breakfast. I like, I'm like, Oh, I'll go to Starbucks or, Oh, I'll go down to this diner. That's like, you know, just a few blocks from our house. And we don't have that option anymore. So I'm like forced to forced to make sure that I have all the things because Starbucks, I love their soy lattes. Those are my favorite. Um, But our Starbucks, I I assume some Starbucks must be open. I've seen people with Starbucks cups online, but we don't have any that are open that I think. And it's not really worth it for me. I feel like they told me to shelter in place. The least I can do is drink my Nespresso or my cold brew and just like do my thing. Um, Yeah, those are the things that I would never run out of. (laughs) It's just funny. I mean, there's so many things though, too, but those are the main ones that I'd I'd be like, "Ah," like my whole day is ruined. Okay. Question number 11. I think we're gonna get through all 12 you guys. Okay, if I don't keep going off the rails. Okay. Question number 11. How to deal with feelings of shame and embarrassment? I don't think I can ever have a conversation face to face with this person that I embarrass myself to. So now I'm left feeling ashamed. I really enjoyed this question. I've been reading a lot of Brené Brown stuff, and if you don't know who Brené Brown is, um, it's B-R-E-N-E B-R-O-W-N. She is a licensed social worker um, and researcher, and so she does um, she she talks a lot about shame and vulnerability. And the true way, and this is going to sound weird, but it's like the, in some ways, when it comes to like shame or uh, embarrassment in particular, the antidote is like the complete opposite. And that's why it's so difficult. And that's why we live in shame and embarrassment for so long. Because if we embarrass ourselves um, in conversation with someone, the way to like move past that is to later it's like, we have to be, we have to be show courage. She talks about how courage is like the antidote to shame. So we have to show courage and we have to go up to that person and be like, I just have to tell you, I am so embarrassed about what happened. I don't know why I said that or acted that way. I just want you to know that I'm sorry or whatever it, you know, I, it depends on what the situation warrants, but we could apologize. We could just say, that was really embarrassing. I don't normally act like that or or whatever. It depends on what happened. Um, But showing the courage to be vulnerable is really where the antidote lies. And I know that that's not easy. And you're like, but I'm so filled with shame and embarrassment. And now I just am like, oh, you know, hanging in it. And I wish there was something easier, another way to combat it. But I feel like, Honestly, addressing it head on is the best. If there's a way to email, call, connect with something, tell this person, talk to them. Um, I know that doesn't work in every situation, because sometimes we embarrass ourselves. Trust me, I've been there. Embarrass yourself to complete strangers, and you have no way to see them again, or to tell them like, oh, that was bad. I'm not normally like that. I apologize. Um, I don't know why I said that that way, whatever it is we have to change the way we talk about it to ourselves. And I know that you guys hate that answer. But so much of our own mental health, I mean, I guess this makes sense when you say it this way. So much of our mental health lies in our thoughts. Makes sense, right? Like, so much of how we think becomes our reality. We know like the whole, uh, I don't know, kind of foundation of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is that like, our thoughts become our beliefs and become our actions, kind of thing. And we go around and around and around. And it's like if we're thinking a certain way and acting a certain way, then we're going to start believing that. And then we're, that's going to lead to more thoughts about a thing that we're going to act a certain way. You know, so we're just going to get in, caught in this cycle. And so, of course, our thoughts become our world. And so they're very, very important and they're very, very powerful. And so when it comes to these shame and embarrassment, I would encourage you to show yourself some compassion, write out your courageous statement to yourself and answer back with some compassion and understanding. Let's say, um, let's say I embarrassed myself. Uh, I don't know. I'll make up a scenario. Let's say I was at a really important business dinner and I got drunk and made an ass of myself. It hasn't happened. Knock on wood. I'm very cognizant, like I have like one glass of wine, I milk all night, because that's just who I am. Um, However, let's say that that happened. Now, I could reach out to those people directly, which is probably what I would do. Um, But let's say I can't, then I have to sit down and take a look at myself, I have to say, that's not who I am. I don't agree with those thoughts and beliefs around me being a stupid idiot, such a horrible person, how embarrassing, oh my god, no, stop. That's not me. That's not who I am. I made a mistake. I recognize that mistake. And here's what I've learned from it. And here's who I believe I am and how, what I'm going to do to show me that this is who I am. And I know that that seems really labor intensive and it seems really difficult, but stick with that. And I would do that, you know, every day in your journal until those intrusive, because trust me, I know those thoughts are coming for you at night and you're just spiraling into like, I call it like a shame spiral. We're just like, oh, can't get out. Um, so we're going to have to use our thoughts to fight back against it. Nobody's perfect. Nobody goes throughout their whole life without doing something that's stupid and embarrassing. And we hate it. But we have to get up and do it. We have to like fight again, try for another day, try to get better, try to evolve. What that told you is that you didn't like that part of yourself, or you didn't like that certain thing that you did. And that doesn't mean that that is always part of ourselves. That's not a true story. I don't have to believe that story. I can believe this was an anomaly and I'm going to you know delete that chapter and move on to the next something totally new um I'm sorry that you're feeling so shitty it is hard and I know that dealing with shame and embarrassment is terrible I, but I really encourage you please talk to the person because the thing is if we practice ahead of time and like write out what we want to say how we want to say it it really prepares us for the conversation and usually I don't want to say 100% of the time cuz nothing's 100% but most of the time, when done properly, if we plan it out, talk it out, try to role play it in our head, what we're going to say to them, they are understanding. They might laugh along with you. They might have, oftentimes they say, I didn't even know. I totally didn't notice. We can be embarrassed and people forget immediately because it's not emotionally like valuable to them. They forget um, or they're like, oh, don't worry about it. That stuff happens all the time you don't really know. So reaching out if you can is, is the best way. Okay, question number 12, our final question. And this is a good one. Is it common to second guess abuse? I have CPTSD, which is complex PTSD. I have a whole video about it if you're interested. And sometimes I wonder if I'm making it all up. I I kind of was picking these questions just as that like for the thumbs ups amount. Um, although I wish YouTube filtered them that way. I did the what was it like the most popular or whatever the lets me filter is only two options. One is newest, and then one is like, I think the highest rating or whatever. And they don't do it in order. So I hope I got all of your top thumbs up ones. I did my best. Um, But I like bookended. The first one was kind of about second guessing their memory. And like, am I making this up? And then the it's kind of funny, because in the last one is a similar type question. Um, Anyway, sorry, back to the question. I have CPTSD and sometimes wonder if I'm making it all up. Sometimes I don't remember any or remember everything just bits and pieces. And that makes me worried. I'm lying about it. No, 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 no. Um, It's a very, very common worry. I don't know what else to say about it other than it's a very, very common worry. And that is because if you don't remember, I've talked a lot about uh, the movie Inside Out and how they have, uh, I love, I just love the way they store memory. Since we're at home, if you can look up Inside Out, the film, it's a Disney Pixar, I think. Um It's really worth a watch. And they do a great job at explaining how memory works. And in that movie, it looks like marbles. I don't know if that's exactly what they are, but I think they're marbles. They look like marbles. Memories get rolled away from short term to long term and filed and all this stuff. And they show it and it's very cool. I love it. Um, So when we have a trauma memory, it's like our brain is like forming these marbles, right? We're forming marbles about like, Oh, um, like for, for me, for instance, I'm like today, I'm marbling. I'm like, I got up and I felt okay. I ate breakfast. I did that Patreon workshop. I did my podcast, right? I'm telling myself the story. And then the marble at the end of the day is like, okay, well, that's, you know, April, whatever date it is, nobody knows. um 2020, let's roll that into there. But when there's a trauma, it's like our brain is putting that marble together. And it, It's like something knocks it off of the axis while it's spinning and being created and it shatters on the floor. That's why you only remember bits and pieces. You don't have a fully formed story narrative memory to recall because it was a trauma memory. And the thing that's really interesting about those bits and pieces is as you work in trauma therapy, they'll have you talk out what you remember. And as they ask you more questions about those bits and pieces, And feelings and experiences, however, you know, what what you felt in your body, they'll try to go through all your senses. More will start to come to life because what you're really doing in trauma therapy is you're using like your uh, broom and you're sweeping up all of those splinters from that marble and then you're trying to slowly piece it together. And yeah, sometimes they're shitty. You cut yourself on a bit of, you know, that shard and you're like, oh, God, I remember how that hurt. So terrible. But hey, then we glue it into place, we bandage, we move forward. And so it, it does, sometimes it can hurt and it is really difficult. And we know putting things together like that is really difficult to find all the pieces. But we can and we will. And so we just slowly but surely pick up all those little bits and pieces and put it together and then we can roll it away. And that is how you process a trauma memory. And I know it sucks and it takes time and it's annoying. But the good news is when we're working on one memory, um, Alexa mentioned this, I think, um, in our videos together, that it's oftentimes when we're processing one memory, the others are getting processed at the same time. So don't think you have to go through each and every memory uh, in detail and and work it out. Often they kind of group themselves and get pushed together into a memory. Um, So you're not making it up. Just work on it. Keep talking about it keep working with those bits and pieces and what you do remember. Um, yeah, and, and trust in the process. It's it's like that. It's very, very common. The memories are there. That's the thing. They're not gone. Watch my video about repressed memories. I talk about it there, how how they do live and they are, they do exist. It's just our brain is, is hidden them and uh, stuff them down for lack of a better term in order for us to keep living. If we were living with all of that trauma right at the front of our mind, we wouldn't be able to do anything, we wouldn't be able to function, get make it to work, go to school, all the things that we want to do have relationships. Um, and so that's why it's really common to not not remember it all. But stick with it, it gets better. And I am working, uh, I'll start probably writing in the next few weeks here, uh, my book about trauma, I'm still waiting for all of the finalizations of like the contracts and, and um, I have all my chapter summaries that I need to get approved by my editor. Um, So I've done all the work on my end. I'm just kind of waiting for them, but something to look forward to. I'll be digging into trauma, like deep, 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 you guys. Um, So hopefully there'll also be some uh, helpful videos that come out uh, with that book as well. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thank you for just being you. I hope you're making it okay. You're taking time for yourself, taking care of those basic needs. You need a shower. You need to feed yourself. you know, we need to move our body a little. Like, have you stretched today? Maybe we do a little stretch. Mm. But take care of yourselves. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening slash watching. And I'll see you next time. You ask Bye. her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all the questions you've always wanted to know ask katie